2: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. <laughs>
1: Welcome in MD Nation to the show. We are back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show here, watching it live at Balliop MDFF show on social media or on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Of course, make sure you check us out on the Unhinged Sports Radio Network. We'll be live later on today from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on unhinged SN.airtime. Dot pro, And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dauhauer. Chris, mm-hmm. how are
3: you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Just want to ask you a quick question Is it true this is your 200th show?
1: This is. I actually didn't even think about that. But yes, this is well, the congratulations. 200th show. Thank you of the MD's fantasy football show. Uh, really, a, a congratulations to MD Nation, because otherwise, I wouldn't keep doing this if our audience was not able to continue mm-hmm. to grow, continue to have success continue to follow along, so they are the ones who make it worthwhile doing in the first place. But yes, this is the 200th episode of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And I plan on it being a jam-packed one, actually, at that. So today's show, we're going to be talking about the smoke or fire episode that we have been hyping up that we can't wait to get to. basically, we have 32 different fantasy football narratives that we're going to talk about in today's show, and we're going to give you our opinion whether it's smoke, Whether it's fire, whether it's something you don't really need to pay attention to, or whether it's something that needs to be going off in your brain to make sure before your drafts, which is going to probably be either this weekend or next weekend for the majority of you out there, you are taking the right variables into consideration. So pretty much we're going to go all around the NFL today. Essentially, Chris, while we do this, what are you looking for as we go through this smoke and fire episode?
3: yeah I think it's a pretty interesting episode because we're actually going to kind of like you said we're gonna cipher through some of the news we've heard some of the rhetoric has gone out there and kind of see what we actually believe versus what we can ignore or just basically you know hype in articles being written because it need to be at this time
1: exactly there's so many you know there's always a bunch of garbage information because beat writers especially. You don't know if there's certain beat writers out there who actually give you a fair breakdown. There's other ones out there who want to hype up the team. There's other ones out there who see one thing in practice, write about it, and just throw it out there to the universe. So we're going to go through this and really give you our fair assessments on these 32 main narratives from these teams of what we expect to actually play out fantasy football-wise and why. Normally speaking, we start off the show with breaking news. I don't have too much breaking news I want to get into because we have so much content to get through in this show. Because don't forget, we're also going to have the mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. You can always get on by hitting your questions towards us at MDFF Show. But there was a piece of news that I felt like we did need to talk about before we moved on.
2: Breaking news.
1: So Sony Michelle gets traded to the Rams what essentially is going to wind up being a fourth and a six round pick. So Chris, just give me your initial thoughts on this trade.
3: At first, I thought it was a little rich for my blood. I didn't understand when, you know, why the Rams gave up so much, but then I kind of did my research and found out the Rams can get a compensatory pick if they are to move on from Michelle after this year. So basically it's a six rounder from the Rams this year and a future fourth rounder in 2023. The Patriots made out pretty well. They basically got something for a guy they were considering cutting um, you know, he did have a compensatory pick tie to him, like I said, so that's something Rams can still reward themselves with. And, and I think it's a great fit for Sonny Michel. I think he has a chance to kind of revive his career. I think the system will fit him perfectly with a one cut, you know, kind of cut and go. And I think that he might be seeing a lot of carries in that backfield.
1: I agree with you in the sense of the trade on the surface. It doesn't doesn't want to be as high of a price tag as you would have thought. And I also, you know, fourth and a sixth round pick doesn't necessarily jump off the page. You is like, oh, this huge price tag. I still believe they would have been better off signing a veteran to a one year deal than trading for Sony Michelle at all. You're still giving up draft capital for a guy that you're probably going to move on from next season. Because you have Cam Akers coming back. You can still have Darrell Henderson under contract for one more season. So you basically gave up two draft picks, whether you're getting a composite, compensatory pick back or not with Sony Michelle, You still give up two draft picks for this guy to come in and be second fiddle to Darrell Henderson. Now, this brings me to my fantasy analysis on this point with Sony Michelle. Because they gave up that price tag, I think any idea that Darrell Henderson is going to wind up being a workhorse, or even a guy who consistently gets 65% of the workload, I think has to go out the window. And I moved Daryl Henderson down a couple of spots as a result of that. Plus, when you mix in the James Robinson news, which that we're going to talk about more in tomorrow's show when we do the five best, five bus, five sleepers, same time at Belly Up MDF episode on social media or on YouTube. We're going to talk about more of the week's breaking news in that episode. But I had to move Daryl Henderson down a couple of spots because to your point, you only make that move, you only pay that price if you are bringing a running back to actually be involved, not just to be depth, to upgrade over Xavier Jones or Jake Funk, but to actually be involved in a significant enough way.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that you're definitely going to see Michelle kind of being used in a a tandem role. We know that basically the narrative around the Rams' backfield has been with Henderson taking over as the lead guy, quote-unquote, the Rams want to make sure that he's healthy throughout the season. They think he can handle all three downs, but there are definitely concerns about how many touches he can handle. So I think this kind of helps that situation where you're going to see Michelle probably get you know, 10 to 12 touches. I think you're going to see Henderson probably get 12 to 15 touches. I think it's actually good for both guys. It gives Michelle kind of a chance to get more of a groove. Like I said, a system will kind of fit him better. And then I think for Henderson, it actually is going to be good because it keeps him healthier, hopefully longer.
1: We'll see exactly what happens. Darren Henderson's still somebody. The low end RB two to me, high end RB three. Ultimately, still a good flex play, still a good piece to have. But the ceiling definitely gets capped with a Sony Michelle move like this. And let's speak to Sony Michelle real quick. This is a guy that coming from New England never got to utilize his full skill set. Now, is he explosive still on that knee? It, can he stay healthy? Two questions. We don't know the answers really to yet until we actually see him on the field and see him stay on the field. Frankly, but. One of his best skills as coming out of college was the fact that this guy could catch the ball. Now, because of the almighty James White, he wasn't allowed to do that in New England. He might be able to do that with the Rams, which is why this hinders Daryl Henderson to some degree. I have them actually down for a 60-30 split, 60-35 split between the two of these guys because Sonny Michelle I do expect to come in in this situation and be allowed to receive the football, actually work in that aspect of his game, and instead of this being a specialized situation where Darrell Henderson's catching the ball and Sonny is getting first and second down work. I think you might see maybe a two series to one series type of basis throughout the game flow between these two running backs.
3: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think they're going to see kind of a rotation of the backs. I still think you're going to have specialized roles. I think you might see the Sonny Michelle use a little bit more in the red zone possibly just because he is a better between the tackles guy. Henderson likes to kind of bounce it out and attack the edges where Michelle's kind of north south. So I do think you're going to maybe see a little bit of touchdown or red zone usage for Sonny Michel more so than Hemingway Henderson. But overall, I think they're going to have a pretty balanced attack. I think it's really good for both you know players, like I said. And I'm excited for Sonny Michel. I think this guy's still 26 years old. Yeah, you know, He's had some decent years. And I think the big thing for him is it can not be such a predictable guy. Where in New England's backfield, you basically you knew what was coming first to second down. Here comes the run up the tackle, off tackle, a run up between the guard. And it was almost a guarantee that it was just going to be kind of a smash mouth type of style. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not a kind of guy like that. He's more of a slasher. So I think this system will be a much more effective and hopefully maybe you can keep him healthier longer.
1: That, I think that was the idea of making this move, is to keep him healthier longer, not just to add death, but to keep him healthier longer. Uh, the only other piece of news I want to mention before we get into our smoke or fire episode, just because it broke literally moments before the show went live, Ryan Tannehill got placed on the COVID reserve list, so he'll have to go through protocols for the next five to ten days uh, he would still be fine for week one in that case. But this is still going to be an issue, Chris. These players who did not get vaccinated are going to have to go through these protocols when they are close contact, whether they test positive or not, where they're going to have to miss at least five days mandated. And we're, kind of, we're not going to know exactly who's vaccinated and who's not until something like this happens. Well, now we know Ryan Tannehill is not vaccinated. What is your take on these players who aren't vaccinated going through the season? And if you do know somebody who's not vaccinated, does it affect your draft status for them at all.
3: I think that's really tough. I mean, I don't know how much news is out there telling you exactly who's vaccinated and who's not. I mean, you can read some guys. Well, like, um, you know, Lamar media. Jackson's
1: not because he had to go on COVID for five, like guys like that through the off season, you're kind of already have an idea. Uh, and like I said, we're not going to know for everybody, but some guys we do have an idea.
3: Yeah. I, I think the, the key is not so much the vaccination. It's going to depend on exposure um, because, you know, we saw Mike Rabel basically was the first person in Tennessee to kind of have this, the coach, and he was vaccinated. Because you can be a carrier, you basically have to be away from the players, away from the team still, even if you have the vaccine. It just basically doesn't hurt you or affect you as much. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily going to change any of my fantasy strategies or should change anybody in these nations, because I think it's something that anybody basically exposed in con is going to have an issue.
1: Yeah, the, the key is going to be similar to last year, although it shouldn't be as bad, but similar to last year, you're going to have to be on your toes. You're going to have to have guys ready to plug into your lineups. You may not have the luxury of stashing as many players as you typically would have in, in other situations uh, outside of COVID, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast right now as it stands today. Okay, Chris, 1st well, we're going to do is going to give a quick word to our sponsor, and then we're going to jump into our smoke or fire episode.
3: Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless, unless we swap first-round picks.
1: Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to Manscaped.com. For 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palamalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today.
2: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show,
1: and the MD's Fantasy Football Show is back on social media at BellyUp MDFF Show or on YouTube. The MD's Fantasy Football Show. Please subscribe. We're back here with our Smoke or Fire edition. As always, I'm your host Dan Mater. joined here with Chris Dowhower. Chris, let's hit it. Smoking.
2: Oh, oh firecrack! Fire it's burning! It's burning! Put it out!
1: Again, these are the 32 fantasy football narratives we're going to be talking about today as we head into the first major weekend of your fantasy football drafts. The majority of you out there this weekend again, next weekend, because it's smart to draft late. And these are the reasons why, when we go through these narratives, why it's smart to draft late. So first one up, smoke or fire, Justin Fields gets to start week one.
3: Unfortunately, this is going to be a smoke situation. Um, We've already kind of heard... Nagy come out. Matt Nagy, the coach for the Bears, come out and say that Andy Dalton will be probably likely the starter week one. Everything's been trending that way, the way they've been using him in preseason. He's been getting most of the first team reps. Um, Justin Fields had some nice moments in preseason. He did struggle last game a little bit, so I think that might have kind of dampened any chance he really did have to start week one. I think he will eventually be the starter sooner than later, especially if the Bears start off slow. But in this situation, because of pay, paying Andy Dalton the money that they did, and then we've seen this kind of track history with, with Nagy, where they started Mac, Mike, Mike Lennon a couple of years ago over Trubisky, um, I think you're going to continue to see a guy basically that they make sure is going to be the starter, is going to be out the week one, Andy Dalton.
1: I just don't, and I agree with you, ultimately this is smoke. Justin Fields is expected to play two quarters in this upcoming preseason game. Andy Dalton, not at all. That pretty much tells you all need to know. Although I will say Matt Nagy did make one interesting comment last week where he kind of gave himself a little bit of an out like anything can happen type of thing came out of his mouth. I don't know if, he just, if he's doing that because of other coaches are doing the same thing where they're just not naming a week one starter as some kind of competition edge, which makes no sense to me. It never has, but coaches do it anyway. Or if he truly is trying to leave himself an out in case Justin Field lights the world on fire, week three of the preseason decides, the like, eh, you know what? Maybe we just got to make this move a little bit faster. But I'm pissed off that it's smoke. I'm pissed. I'm pissed off that this isn't fire because why on oh why? Why couldn't this been a Seattle situation where Matt Flynn got paid all this money? And then you have Russell Wilson come up and just prove all offseason long that he's the better quarterback. And there's just no other way around it. And I don't understand why Bat Nagy has to have an ego so big based on nothing, no accomplishments, by the way, that he cannot see, or he probably can see the Justin Fields is a starter, but refuses to play him anyway. It doesn't make any sense to me. We all can see Justin Fields as the best guy out there, not just from a fantasy football perspective, but from an NFL perspective. Chicago needs to make the playoffs for Matt Nagy to keep his job. Do you agree with that, Chris?
3: I want to agree with that. Um, I think Matt Nagy should have been fired a couple of times already. I think Ryan Page should have been fired a couple of times already. So I, they seem to have nine lives in Chicago. I'm not really sure what's going on with ownership, if they're really going to put pressure on them. And I do wonder, some in some respects, if they kind of hold on to Fields as that wild card and push it out to not play him. Because if they play him and are unsuccessful off the bat, you don't have a get out of free card, so to speak, with ownership. But if you wait and play fields and then your team starts to show promise towards the end of the season, or he starts to show promise towards the end of the season, maybe that buys Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace another year. So I wonder if this isn't a calculated risk on their part as some kind of way of kind of buying themselves time. And also, like we said, you know, we, we have a basically a, a stupid franchise overall. and This this, this pairing of Pace and, and Nagy have made nothing but mistakes at the quarterback position between drafting Trubisky and trading up for no reason, um, the last year's. The buckle of Nick Foles, trading for him, giving up picks for no reason once again, signing A Dalton, still having Nick Foles on your roster and not getting anything in compensation. So this Bears team in general just has basically just sabotaged their position as a quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to do so. It's not, you know, just, it seems to be their M.O. It, it just,
1: it, it drives me nuts. So we we both agree any Dalton's going to start week one the way it's setting up. I have a hard time believing that he escaped September with his job still intact. They start off with the Rams on Sunday night football. We all know Andy Dalton's been terrible in prime time as it, even when he was in a prime, he was terrible in prime time. So now you get to start off with the Rams. You get the Bengals in the second week, then Cleveland. There's a very good chance they're one and two after that spell. And then the first week game in October is Detroit. I have a hard time imagining, and you know, I have nothing to base this off of, but I just have a hard time imagining Justin Fields is not the starter by that Detroit game come the first week of October, which would be week four.
3: Yeah, I think there should be a good chance that happens. I think the key, honestly, is going to be the offensive line. How pathetic is it? If it's really bad, and you talked about some of those teams that they're going to face, like the Rams, um, I, I think if they have a lot, of, and the, Cleveland's another big one, because their tackle position is so up in the air, and they have such questions about it. If Andy Dalton is getting smacked around back there, they might have, have to go to fields because they're going to have no choice because that offense is going to be putrid if the offensive line's bad.
1: As far as the fantasy purposes around Andy Dalton starting, look, Allen Robinson is still going to get targeted a ton. We know David Montgomery is going to get the ball a lot. My only question with David Montgomery that I'm curious to see is with, with Matt Nagy calling the plays, does he turn back to a Tariq Cohen or Damian Williams as a primary pass catching back over allowing David Montgomery to be involved in all three downs? of the backfield. So that's going to be the question I have for week one, when it comes to Matt Nagy, it's why I have David Montgomery as a lower end Mm RB two. If I knew he was going to get those targets, he would actually be a mid-level to high end RB two for me. So when I draft him as a a low level RB two, I'm drafting with the idea that you do have upside. If one of two things happens, Nagy, has enough of a brain to let you be a true workhorse back or when Bill laser inevitably takes the play calling back over at some point during this season. But that's what I'm kind of looking for. As far as that goes, that doesn't change with any Dalton. Now with Justin Fields, I think Alan Robinson's ceiling is a little bit higher. I think David Montgomery's ceiling gets a little bit higher and all these people who have these sleeper expectations on Darnell Mooney. I think that could actually legitimately be something if fields were to take over at some point, but until then not at all. And fields himself, Once he becomes a starting quarterback, because of his rushing ability and how I believe his offense will be filtered, I do believe he'll be at the very least a low in QB one and will flirt with that top 10 area on a week in week out basis.
3: Yeah, I think the key for me is actually going to be what kind of league you're playing in. I think with fields, you're definitely going to have more success for those players like Robinson, Mooney, and Montgomery scoring touchdowns. So in a standard league, there's the guys definitely going to have a boost with him as a quarterback. I do think that if Andy Dalton is the quarterback, though, you might see a boost in PPR leagues because you're going to see probably more short passes of the day Montgomery on the backfield or fields might not check it down as much. You're probably going to see more volume to Allen Robinson versus the big play and pushing Dale down the field. I think to me that's going to be the big difference is I think the team will be more effective scoring-wise and in the red zone once they make the switch, but I think early on you're going to see a lot of dink and dunk, so you might see opportunity for Andy Dalton to put up some decent numbers, for the, at least for the receivers and the backs because they're going to be catching such short passes and the volume will be there. All right.
1: Time for our next narrative, Chris. Smoke or fire. Dak Prescott's shoulder will linger and hinder the Cowboys offense in the beginning of the season?
3: I think that's smoke. Um from everything I'm understanding what's going on in Dallas, they're they just basically are being a very precautionary with Dak. They just want to make sure he doesn't get hurt. They want to make sure it isn't going to be something that lingers. Um, they've kind of played it safe with, you know, Amari Cooper. They played it safe with CeeDee Lamb. They're kind of making sure their guys are healthy for the season. I think that's what they really care about. Dak is still kind of getting his little workout on the sides right now. I think he's expected to be able to practice beforehand. To me, that would be the key. If he's, As long as he's practicing and he's able to kind of you know, participate in and lead up to the games, he should be fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the week that he came back He was doing throwing and everything on the sidelines. Not quite. I don't think he's quite back in seven on sevens as of yet, but he is back throwing the football. That's all I need to see. Again, we have what two weeks, actually two weeks from today is kickoff for Dallas too, by the way, because it's Dallas and Tampa Bay. That's plenty of time for me. They've been precautionary about this the entire time. You can even watch it on hard knocks. Mike McCarthy talk about the, you know, the pitch count. they've been making sure they they have a strategic plan for him in place. I'm not worried about the ankle. I'm not worried about the shoulder injury as far as, You know, the effectiveness, the fantasy football upside of an Amari Cooper, of a C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Gallup, not worried about it at all. I think he's going to be just fine. So I'm with you. I think this is smoke that these guys are somewhat getting downgraded because of the idea that Dak might not be ready to go. Um, and we saw him being mobile. And this entire time, while he's been dealing with the shoulder injury, as far as the ankle thing goes, he's been able to do legs. He's been able to do running. He has been getting himself in shape. He has been getting himself back to where he's comfortable off that ankle. I'm actually not as worried about it as I thought I would be would be as far as his mobility goes. Remember, with Dak Prescott, he's not the guy who's going to – he's not Kyler Murray Lamar Jackson, who's going to light the world on fire with his mobility. He utilizes it in the red zone. He utilizes it to move the chains. I don't think that changes – Coming off the surgery, from all indications, that's not supposed to change. Coming off the surgery,
3: yeah, I mean, I think maybe he, maybe the first couple weeks he's a little more tentative, possibly with it. But overall, Dak Prescott's not a guy who's, you know, like you said, is a heavy runner, and he's not really lowering his shoulder trying to blast through people. He's not kind of built like that, so he usually takes what's available to him. Maybe you see him slide more often just to keep it safe. But I think overall, you're not going to see really any differences in his game or Dallas Cowboys offense.
1: I totally agree. I feel safe about everybody. I love everybody on Dallas. So don't be, a, don't head. be, yeah, don't be afraid to draft these guys, especially a lot of the ADP, ADP for CD lamb, and Mari Cooper, as far as where they're overall being drafted, because I see it typically now in fourth, fifth round, 12 man leagues. Uh, yeah. Pull the trigger. Cause these are still guys have top 10 potential. So I've been noticing that more and more lately. All right. Smoke or fire. Elijah Moore becomes the jets number one receiver by the end of
2: 2021. You really can sell to anyone from anywhere.
0: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com
3: slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or sea floors. I'm going to go with that is smoke. Um, I love Elijah Moore's talent. I do think eventually that he will be one of the top guys on the Jets. I just don't know if this is going to be this year. My questions come more for the fact that I, where they're going to line him up at. There's a lot of talk about putting him in the outside. If he's just the key slot guy and starts in the slot, I think that would be fire. But from what I understand, they're going to pretty much use him on the outside and kind of move him around a little bit more. Um, with Crowder still on that team, Corey Davis still on that team, you have a lot of different mouths to kind of feed, and I wonder if he's ever going to get an opportunity to kind of be featured the way you'd want him to be. So I have to go with Smoke. I think Elijah Moore is a hell of a talent. I think he's got a lot of upside but I don't think he's quite there yet for where he falls in the pecking chain of the offense.
1: Can I say smoke with the potential for fire?
3: Cause like, yeah, if, cause that's, that's what I'm getting to, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. Go ahead.
1: Well, th- that's my thing. I, would you be shocked if Elijah Moore wound up being the no. number one Jets wide receiver? Exactly. We wouldn't be surprised. Now you have to take into consideration for a couple of things. Corey Davis got paid to be the number one guy. I know people are going crazy about the target share that he's been getting lately, and all of a sudden he's moving up draft boards. I would cool it with that because you got to keep in mind Elijah Moore hasn't been out there. They haven't played a ton of Jameson Crowder. They've been kind of giving Keelan Cole and Vincent Smith reps on the other side to see who kind of wins out in that battle. I do believe that when it comes to three starting wide receivers for the Jets to open the season, it'll be Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Jameson Crowder. Where Denzel Mims gets mixed in, I don't know. But remember, he's still involved, too. So kind of go to your point of there are other weapons there involved that I think will hinder Elijah Moore being able to take over sooner rather than later when it comes to this team. Now, I like Zach Wilson a lot. I like some of the Jess pieces a lot. And frankly, they keep getting injured on defense. They're not going to have anybody left and they're going to have to just go into garbage times or score it anyway. But this is also an offensive system, remember, that doesn't primarily use a ton of three receivers anyway. So Elijah Moore might be the motion guy. He might be the Debo Samuel type of guy who then winds up lying up on the outside because they don't use a ton of three receivers. That's to begin with. I do think he's going to be the number two to start. I do think there's a chance it takes over, but ultimately I would have to say probably more smoke for this year given the Corey Davis and given the James and Crowder factor. I think it's big that he took a pay cut and kept him on that team. I, I do believe that they they weren't going to make him do that and keep him on there if they weren't going to allow him to get significant amount of playing time and be one of the top targets of the team. So that becomes a factor as well when it comes to Elijah more. So ultimately, I have to say Smoke, I still like him as a deep flyer for your drafts. If you're looking for somebody later on that you just want to take a shot, take a lottery ticket on, he's definitely one of those guys for me.
3: Yeah, he's going to have some big weeks. To your point, I think that he might. While he might not have finished as a receiver one for that team, I do think that he's going to have some big weeks for you. So he's definitely somebody you should be looking at to target the draft later in the draft. Um, and I also think that one of the things keeping you kind of talked about not playing a lot of three receivers. This team also likes to run the ball in a system, kind of has receivers who can block. So that's another thing where you're going to see Elijah Moore kind of suffer a little bit because you're probably going to see a Keenan Cole out there a little bit more often than you expect to, just because he's a good blocker. Um, and then to your point about Crowder, I think Crowder kind of stunts the opportunity for him a lot because Cowder can only really basically play in the slot. So if you're going to kind of limit Will Elijah and work where he can kind of line up on the field and be utilized.
1: Yeah, and then and then you put all that together, he winds up being a big play threat primarily on the outside and not a volume guy. Uh, one of the things you guys keep in mind, we're live. So if you want to ask a question and have us answer it and go through it during the show, 100%. We got somebody in here now. Samuel, he just asked me from YouTube, do I trade Henry for Saquon and Julio in a PPR league? Ooh. I say yes. I say say unequivocally yes. Because you could say, look, I know I'd rather have a Derrick Henry than a Saquon Barkley because of the safety issue, but in a PPR league, Saquon has just as much, if not more, upside of Derrick Henry. And I like the fact you get a Julio Jones to go along with that, which... Julio, like I said, if he's healthy, and I know he still hasn't been back to practice yet, and that's something we're going to we're gonna have to talk about and discuss and, and figure out what's going on there. But if he's healthy and good to go, I still believe in Julio Jones' ability. Within that offense, it's going to be a little bit more pass-friendly, I believe, this season. I Yes, Samuel, I'm going to pull the trigger on that deal.
3: I think it depends on what the rest of your team is, Samuel. I look at what, you know, I think Saquon has awesome upside in the PPR league. I also love what Julio could bring to the table but you have two major injury risks while Derrick Henry has yet to miss any really any major time while being Tennessee's backfield. He's going to benefit from having Julio there where they can't play as many guys in the box. Um, But having said all that, I would basically, if I have kind of reach where I need a more extra receiver, a little bit more another like more depth or another gun to kind of use, I'd make that trade. If you're pretty loaded everywhere else, don't risk it. You have guy basically is is golden a golden ticket for you to basically be one of the top guys in a running back position. I wouldn't risk it for Derrick Henry unless I need to kind of the upside receiver position.
1: Here's my thing about Derrick Henry when it comes to the PPR leagues. If he doesn't run for 15 plus touchdowns and 15 plus hundred yards then he does want to be a guy who falls in the back end of you know the RB1s that easily because he just doesn't give you that passing attack ability. So that, that's why I would, I would actually pull the trigger on that trade, Samuel. So again, guys, as we go through this show, put your questions in, and we'll try to get to them as we move along. Uh, Chris, smoke or fire? And we got a little bit more clarity, I felt like, after the last preseason game. But still, committee approach in Miami for that backfield. Just a flat-out three-way committee, smoke or fire?
3: I think that's fire. Um, I think that the there will be a split of touches and there will be roles everybody kind of plays, especially Malcolm Brown. I think Malcolm Brown's going to be annoying in the red zone and probably, probably rarely be used in that role. We saw Jordan Howard kind of get the opportunity last year um, in Miami. And then I think that you're going to see a little less of med that people might expect. He'll probably be out there sporadically, but I don't think you're going to see a heavy dosage of him. But I do think there's going to be a split in a rotation definitely between Brown and um, y- using – Kind of limiting the upside overall of what that backfield can kind of do. I think that when you think about Dolphins, their run, their offensive line is not that impressive. You're going to kind of need somebody to kind of be featured to be, you know, a, a prime number RB one or even RB two. I think this basically makes Gaskin a flex play. Um, I do hear a lot from the beat writers and the insiders on Miami though that they do expect him to be kind of the you know, the one and kind of get the majority of the touches. Um, but the breakdown, I don't really know what it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if it's you know, around 65, 35, and you kind of see the other guys you know, utilizing different roles, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I was breaking this down. And, and of course, you know, Miles Gaskin had to move a few spots down on my board into mid-level RB3 range. He was hovering around that low-end RB2 range for me previous to this and the second preseason game, you know, they gave Miles Gaskin a little bit more run. It wasn't so Malcolm Brown and Savant Ahmed uh, mixed in. But I'm with you. Ultimately, I think this is fire. Do I think it's a three-way committee? I don't know if I think it's a three-way committee. But I do think it is a committee between Malcolm Brown and Miles Gaskin at the very least. And I, people were talking about this all week. That Malcolm Brown just has that coaching quality. It kind of reminds me a lot of the Jamal Williams situation where he has that coaching where coaches just like him because he does everything he's supposed to do in practice, I guess. But even though it's not actually that particularly effective or or really any good, unfortunately, that seems to be enough to get you on the field because we've seen Malcolm Brown get on the field everywhere he's been to an annoying amount and detriment to everybody else's fantasy team that looks like it's going to continue here. I actually don't have any Miami Dolphin running back getting 50% or more of the work on a game to game basis because I do have Savant Abed getting mixed in Miles Gaskin, of course, and Malcolm Brown as well. Miles Gaskin's is still definitely the lead guy as far as you want to own for fantasy football purposes, because the one nice thing about Malcolm Brown, Savant Abed is neither one of them, are particularly efficient or great at catching the football or doing anything with it. Malcolm Brown might be out there sometimes as a pass protector, but he can't really do anything with the ball in his hands uh, once he's actually thrown to on the outside. So that's where Miles Gasson gets to stay safe. He's still the most explosive of the bunch. But when you draft him, you can't draft him with the idea that you have a a sleeper, combative... RB2 on a week-to-week basis on your hands, you have to draft him with the idea he's more of a flex play and then you fill in RB2 because you don't know how many touchdowns he's going to get. And again, he might be in a situation where he never sees more than 10 carries if this committee were to continue throughout the season, which again, with you, as far as a fire approach on that happening, at least in the beginning of the year.
3: Yeah, I think what we saw basically happen in the Rams last year is probably what you're going to see repeat in Miami a lot of ways, where you're going to see two guys primarily used, that third guy kind of sprinkled in there. Who that's going to be from week to week will probably change, um, but that's where it's going to be really hard, to your point, kind of bank- banking on Gaskin being an RB2 for you. He's going to probably be an option to flex maybe.
1: This is one I was waiting for. We've talked about it all season long, but I just still can't wrap my mind around the stupidity of it. Deshaun Watson – still does not play a single game for Houston, even without being placed on the commissioner-exempt list?
3: I guess I have to go with fire here. Um, The Texans basically have done nothing to prepare him for the season. They've incorporated him not at all in their offense or, or their plans. Is already talking about Tyrell will be the starter and Mills will probably get at some point, time at, you know, as the season progresses. So that leaves Deshaun on the bench. Maybe somebody gets really greedy or not greedy. I should say really injured at the quarterback position and really desperate and maybe makes an offer that they can't refuse to get him off the team. Um, or maybe you see somebody trying to jump the gun, maybe like a Carolina who realizes, you know, a couple of games in the season. Sam Darnold isn't the answer for next year. Maybe they try to jump the gun. But barring a trade, it sounds like the Deshaun Watson has no future in the Texans. And I think that's on both sides. Deshaun doesn't want to play for them, which he's got to get his value up in a lot of ways. Um, and then you go on the other side of the Texans, which are basically doing going out of their way to make, not incorporate them. And then the NFL just is sitting on their hands during this whole situation. So, yeah, I mean, it just sounds like it's how it's going to progress right now. This, Yeah, this is
1: 1000% fire. This is, again, the reason why, even without him being suspended, he continues to be off my rankings board, off my draft board completely. Houston has not allowed him to take one snap in practice as a starting quarterback for them at all, making it crystal clear you're not going to play. It's going to be Tyrod Taylor. Maybe they throw in Davis Mills at some point during the season because they're 0-12 at that point or whatever, whatever the case may wind up being. But no, he's not going to play. To your point, the NFL is definitely sitting their hands until, just, until the Justice Department does their thing. From what I understand, some of that has to do with legality of questioning witnesses on an ongoing investigation. Some of it has to do with the NFL saying, you know what, we've learned in the past that if we take a back seat to the Justice Department and then fill in our punishments later, it seems to go over better as far as what the results wind up. They catch a lot of smoke in the meantime, Like while they're not doing anything now, but ultimately... it winds up being aligned. And I feel like PR wise, it actually winds up playing the NFL's benefit when they just let the Justice Department do their thing first and then step in in these types of situations. So you have that going on. I mean, that's why I had the feeling the entire time he was never going to actually get suspended because this thing isn't it's going to carry on until February. There's a lot of other things up in the air right now, but it's at least going to carry on until February. To your point, Deshaun Watson, he should be doing a lot more to get it on the field you got to repair some of your PR image. you got to boost up some of your value. The only way you do either one of those things is if you actually get on the field and play. That's the only way people forget about what's going on or, remember or remind themselves how good you are as a franchise quarterback. Why somebody might want to take the chance on you even with all this off-the-field issue stuff going on to trade for you. On Houston's side, yeah, you actually want to trade this guy at this point. I know they started off this year not wanting to. After all this, I'm pretty sure Houston would be okay if they got the chance to move on. So there's nothing that makes sense in any capacity why this guy doesn't see the field. And yet, we're all going to be stuck watching Tyrod Taylor open the season week one. I don't think we're going to see a single game out of Deshaun Watson in a Houston Texan uniform, even though he's going to be on the roster all year because I don't believe a trade ever gets done, even though he's not going to be suspended.
3: Yeah, it's a crazy situation going on there.
1: It's 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 beyond stupid. Just to give the fantasy aspect of it, Tyrod Taylor plays. I think he'll be a streaming quarterback because he likes to run at times, depending on you know, if they play Jacksonville week one, for instance. I think there's somebody you could stream possibly if you hadn't that be in that situation. Brandon Cooks will get featured because there's no one else to really throw the ball to that much. I like Nico Collins, but Tyrod Taylor's never been able to feature more than one wide receiver, so I don't expect to start now. And, uh, oh, by the way, the Houston backfield, don't touch it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't don't, touch it. We saw Mark Ingram get carries in week two of the preseason as the starter. Not, not in the rotation, as the starter. We saw Phillip Lindsey the week before. David Johnson's getting the pass catching work. We actually haven't seen Rex Burkhead, even though we know he's on the roster as of now. We'll see if that still stands where they have to make their cuts. But, yeah, uh, pretty much don't touch the Houston backfield. Maybe if two guys wind up being injured or rendered useless at some point during the season and one guy emerges, my thought is maybe Phillip Lindsay at some point during the year, but maybe we'll come back and visit in the waiver wire. There's no reason to draft anybody not named Brandon Cooks for the Houston Texans this year.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that maybe in some weekly leagues, maybe you pick up a David Johnson when you know they're going to get blown out and it's going to be a passing situation because they're just going to have to have him in the game the whole time. But other than that, you can't predict anything in that backfield. And offensively, they're going to be ugly. I mean, that offensive line is not any good. They, you really don't know what kind of schematics they're going to run out there. And to your point, I think that there's a lot of questions. Even with Tyrod, can you feature more than one guy? But the offense can feature more than one guy.
1: All right, let's move on to a better situation to talk about. And an interesting one. So, smoke or fire, Chris. Does Michael Harbin? does he wind up being the de facto wide receiver two of the Kansas City
3: Chiefs. So I'm going to go with fire. Um, I think that he, depending on how you want to read the questions, the will, he the will he be the receiver spe- two? the truth. Yes, he will be the starter. I think and he will be the number two guy out there. Having said that, I think you're going to see a lot of Prinkle and you're going to see a lot of Robinson. And you're going to see a lot of those other receivers kind of rotating with him depending on what they're doing you're going to see more two tight end sets than you've probably seen in a long time on Kansas city this year. So I think that while he's going to be the starter, I don't know if he's actually going to be worth owning in the chiefs because I do think as the number two guy, he's going to be still be a role player.
1: Yeah. Maybe he's the starter. Possibly. I do agree with you. You're going to see more two tight end sets. I believe out of the chiefs this year than you ever have. Cause they do have a young kid there who they're actually pretty excited about. I've been talking about this all off season. Now I did adjust my rankings a little bit to where Hardman will get the second most receiver targets. So I made that a little bit of adjustment, but we've been down this road before the past two seasons when the opportunity has knocked. Ultimately the Marcus Robinson is the one who winds up getting the majority of the snaps. The reason being is because Marcus Robinson is a more all-around, not great all-around receiver, but he's a more all-around receiver than a Mikko Harbin is. He has a bigger route tree, and he can actually block a little bit on the outside, which is why, ultimately, he winds up being the guy who plays more snaps at that position. So I would go with Smoke, as far as this question goes, where Miko Harbin will not be the de facto wide receiver two of the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe you're going to see a three-man rotation between Miko Harbin, Demarcus Robinson, and Pringle. But, That's not to say that there's still not some deep flyer upside with a Mecole Hardman or, you know, picking up later off the waiver wire or Demarcus Robinson. We know this Kansas city offense is going to be prolific. We know somebody outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey is going to catch some balls down the field. Now my thing is going to be this. I don't know if you're ever going to know exactly when to play a Mecole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson, whoever it winds up being so Baby DFS purposes, you want to take a chance, but if you draft him in redraft leagues, good luck figuring out when you're going to actually play these guys. And because Nicole Harmon can't block, and because he still doesn't have a full route tree, I really think he's going to have to compete for snaps. So I think that's more smoke than it is fire. Next up, this is a big one. Jamar Chase will be the number one Bengals wide receiver this season. Smoke or fire, Chris?
3: That is smoke. I would it to going into the season it was going to be fire, but every report coming out of the Cincinnati camp is basically Chase is not there where they would expect him to be yet. He's not getting separation. He doesn't look quite as explosive. And as we saw in the preseason games, having a lot of issues with drops. So those things are all basically he's, he's too much in his head. We kind of see Joe Burrow still kind of getting his legs up, you know, back underneath him as well. So those t- those two factors make me feel like they're going to kind of rely on the guys who have already been there. You're going to see Higgins, you know, this continues to – become a more and more intricate part of their offense. There's even talk about Tate playing some more snaps over Chase sometimes. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a Boyd. You're going to see a Higgins. One of those two guys are probably going to be the receiver one for the Bengals this year. I still love Jamar Chase. I still love his skill set. I think he's has some great weeks here or there as he gets kind of used to the NFL in a lot of ways. But from everything I'm hearing, it's not setting up that way. And I think they're going to go kind of, you know, conservative in a sense of kind of relying on what they already know and what they can kind of trust.
1: Yeah, it's smoke. It's unfortunate smoke, but it is smoke. Nonetheless, this whole Cincinnati Bengals offense could be smoke as far as what our expectations were going into this season. Once we realize Joe Burrow is having a mental issue, you know, getting confidence back in that knee. I'm glad to hear he's going to get some preseason reps. By the way, Chris, you and I have talked about this on the show that he needs to get out there, get whacked, get his feet wet before week one comes around. But there's a real chance this offense starts off slower than we anticipated them being able to do. And originally, I had a pretty close three-way split thing going on as far as targets go between Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. But I did have Jamar Chase by like five or so targets actually leading the way over T. Higgins. That has changed for me where I now have Jamar Chase as the number three target behind Tyler Boyd, behind T. Higgins, and has been adjusted so into my rankings, which will be published by this weekend on BillionFantasySports.com. Make sure you check it out there before you head into your drafts. But now T Higgins has moved up to be a mid-level wide receiver three for me with wide receiver two upside. He has been the guy who's definitely from a physical standpoint, NFL conditioning standpoint, has taken the next step up. He looks to be the number one wide receiver. Tyler Boyd is still going to be that veteran savvy safety blanket. And if the Joe Burrow thing remains true, where he is not confident planting on that knee and throwing the ball down the field, Tyler Boyd is going to be a big-time safety blanket for him. So all of a sudden, his target share goes up. Jamar Chase is thinking a lot out there. You could see it on the field, especially in that second preseason game. Everything that everybody was talking about, the concern of a training camp, showed up there. He was having trouble getting separation. He was dropping the ball, and it looked like all he was doing was thinking about every step he took, what it was he was supposed to be doing, rather than playing. I think that's getting in his head. I think he's trying to knock off some rust, but at the same time, he's the type of guy who has won every battle he's been in because of his physical gifts. He doesn't have necessarily the nuance of some of these other rookie wide receivers of running routes and getting open and doing some of these extra little fundamental things that he's just going to have to learn on. Do I think Jamar Chase can still be very good by the end of the season? Because, you know, I think Joe Burrow might get more confident and this offense in general might be clicking a little bit better as we get halfway through the year. Yeah, I do. Jamar Chase still phenomenal talent. He's still my number one wide receiver as far as his rookie class goes, but I think it's going to be a slower start. And right now with his ADP of where he's going, he's getting drafted amongst those guys going in the four through six rounds. I think that's a mistake. I think you need to take this guy more as your wide receiver four type of guy range area rather than, you know, a wide receiver three, which is where he's kind of been going.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think this definitely makes Higgins a guy that you can consider having as a receiver two, definitely a solid receiver three. And to your point, I think now Chase is kind of a, a flex play or a board, you know, a third receiver option. Um, where you're kind of looking for matchups and you're kind of waiting to see versus banking on this guy.
1: Chase Claypool will overtake Juju Smith-Schuster in fantasy this year, smoke or fire, Chris?
3: So we're going to get on debate on this. I'm going to go with Wait,
2: wait,
1: wait. Let me me hit the Uh, button. I want
2: the truth! You can't handle the truth!
3: All right, go. I'm not a big believer in Juju Smith-Schuster. He signed a one-year deal in Pittsburgh. I don't think the offense is necessarily looking to have him long term. I think this offense will belong to Claypool moving forward. And a lot of people have the narrative that Claypool is gonna have a drop because, you know, he didn't going a score as many touchdowns as he did last year. He was kind of all over the place. He was a rookie last year. Let's not forget that. This guy's a physical spin on He has a lot of the attributes that we loved about uh, DK Metcalf, for example. And the offense looks a lot more explosive, in my opinion, because you're going to see a lot more misdirection. You're going to see a lot more motion. I think you're going to see a more big play opportunity for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben's of arms, not quite what it was, you know, years and years ago, but it's not as bad as it looked last year. And they saw kind of a couple of deep shots they took out of the offense when he played in the preseason game. I expect Chase Claypool to be utilized in that deeper role. I expect him to be utilized a lot in the red zone, continue to be. Um, ben loves his big receivers. He loved Plexico Burris, he loved Martavius Bryant. Another comparison he made in Mortavius a couple weeks, you know, last week, I think it was last week's show we talked about, and it will be kind of a similar setup for him. we didn't really see Claypool really become the guy last year. He wasn't a starter, he kind of started off as the fourth receiver in that offense and still was very, very productive simply because. He's unstoppable. He's a big dude that can run 6'4 and run I mean, a 6'4 dude that can run like a 4-3. Um, he's not he's not as raw as a lot all people will try to make him to beat. And he's hard to tackle. So I think all of those things actually add up for him overcame, overcoming Juju. Juju might be able to beat him out in PPR just because I think he's going to be that that the chain mover, that third and four guy who's gonna get, you know, seven to ten targets within you know, line of scrimmage, um, or close to the line of scrimmage, I should say. But I think Claypool overall numbers wise will overtake him.
1: Yeah, I don't believe Chase Claypool will overtake him, especially when it comes to targets and receptions. Now, are they going to be close in yards? That wouldn't shock me. Does Claypool have a couple more touchdowns? Again, definitely wouldn't shock me. But I do think it still remains Schuster, because even last year with Claypool's great touchdown rate ratio, Schuster still finished one spot ahead of him. Everyone wants to hate on Schuster because he's boring, because he didn't live up to the hype. But he still winds up being talk about safety blankets, and Ben Roethlisberger is trying to get the ball out of his hands very, very quickly. He's one of the ultimate safety blankets around. He's been with Ben Roethlisberger for a long time, so it's not like this is not a guy who doesn't have the chemistry, the continuity. He knows where Roethlisberger wants to go with the ball. He know they have that chemistry already down pat. And Claypool, just by the numbers, should have touchdown regression this season. Plain and simple. And I don't believe that Roethlisberger, although. I was I had some encouragement from what I saw the second preseason game where it's like, okay, your arm hasn't fallen off, thank goodness, because I do want the Steelers to do well. But it's still not going to be Ben checking down the field type of Ben. We saw Martavius Bryant, even when Ben was still kind of in his prime, have a regression the following season in touchdowns when it came to that. And while I love Chase Claypool, while I love Chase Claypool's talent, he is a guy who has to come out and show that he put together more fundamentals in his route running. This is a guy who's physical phenom, 100%. Still raw as a wide receiver last year. That's why I only started about half the games, to your point, and James Washington was still getting mixed in. He has to show that he's taking the next step in development. We'll have to see. Is he anything more than just a big play threat wide receiver who goes up and gets the ball in 50-50 situations? We have to see. This team's going to be more focused on getting the run game going than they were a season ago. So overall, the passing volume, I expect to take a hit. I think target-wise, reception-wise, there's no way he overtakes Juju Smith-Schuster, and if he's not able to maintain or get close to a touchdown rate that he did a season ago, which I don't believe he will, Chase Claypool was on my bus list according based on what his ADP of where he's been drafted. He was on my bus list during our Best 5, Bus 5, Sleeper 5 wide receivers, which you can go back and check out on your favorite pod streaming app. So I'm not on Chase Claypool overtaking Juju Smith-Schuster this season. Plus, Schuster, I, I, let me let one last point and then we'll move on. Schuster signed that one-year deal because he knows he's got one shot to get a multi-year deal. I do think you're going to see a little extra motivated Juju Smith-Schuster this season on top of it, which also will prevent that. But let's move on to the next one. Saquon Barkley won't receive a full workload until week three, smoke or fire.
3: I'm going to go with smoke on that one. I know that Saquon hasn't really returned to practice, but every report coming out, he looks explosive. He's working out on the, you know, out on the side. He's not really participating in full practice, but he is getting ready for the season. I think once he's out there, you know, this guy's going to be the featured guy just because that's offense is built for him to be the featured guy. Jason Garrett has never been really good at rotating backs and utilizing different guys. So I think that you kind of have that playing out there even the more explosive players. He's in the fifth year option. I think the Giants have to kind of, you know, start off the season well. Um and I think that overall there's no there's no reason to really save him. Um I think that was more done so in this off season where they've been trying to be really careful with him. But I think once he's out there, he will be the workhorse back for them.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree that it's smoke. I know they they might have all these nice ideas in theory about, oh, let's get Devontae Booker more involved. Let's make sure Saquon has his legs under him until they look up at the scoreboard and realize that they're down by two scores, and the best player on their offense is Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay, who's still out of practice, is not 100% healed from his hamstring and Daniel Jones is still a bum. And then ultimately when it comes down to, he's like, we need Saquon Barkley or our offense is going to fall apart. I've... Talk, Chris, we've talked about this before. There's always a nice idea to have in training camp throughout the NFL preseason, and then you hit the field and realize what actually works and that you're willing to do anything to win the game. I'm with you. I think this is smoke. I think once Saquon is out there, which he's actually on 7-7 seven, seven drills today, not non-contact jersey, but still out there practicing today, once he's out there come week one, it's Saquon Barkley's backfield because Devontae Booker is not good enough to really be anything more than just a backup. Next, Jalen Hurts will finish as a top 10 quarterback in fantasy this year, smoke or
3: fire? This one's really tough for me. I think that he's going to be really close to it, but I'm actually going to go with smoke. I had previously thought John Hurts would finish in the top 10, but I started looking at some of the other guys that are going to be there, and I just think he's, he has too many chances to get hurt this year. I still have questions about his throwing ability, and I still have questions about whether this coaching staff wants to him to succeed or not. So overall, all three of those factors kind of make me feel like he's not, he's not a lock to finish in the top 10. Can he? Sure. But I'm going to go with Spoke because I think there's too many other guys that I actually have rated higher right now than him. I
1: want the
2: truth! You can't handle the truth!
1: This is a big one because I'm gonna state my case of why he's definitely a top ten, why he's my number seven overall. I don't disagree with you on the point of can he be effective enough throwing the football. I've made my marks about that. One of the reasons why I'm not as big on Devon Smith as I was going into it is because of his inaccuracy as a passer. So that part I'm not gonna disagree with you at all. But as far as the coaching staff thing goes, there's nobody else to replace him. You're not gonna play. You're not gonna bench him for Joe Flacco. So you. Maybe you're not, whether or not you're trying to get him to succeed, you absolutely are. Why? Because if nothing else, that dude is trade bait for you come next offseason. They absolutely need him to be valuable, at least if nothing else, for that reason. He is going to rush for seven to 800 yards. As long as he does that, he's automatically a top 10. So for me, he's automatically fire because I see no reason outside of an injury why he doesn't hit those numbers with this offense, with the way they're going to have to play from behind, with the way this offense is going to be built around Hurts having to make plays with his legs at the end of the day. Uh, Next up, we have Antonio Gibson will receive the CMC role, smoke or
3: fire. Um, This one was another tough one for me. I'm going to go with smoke. I think all the narrative has been that he will be, he'll be utilized that, I think at some point, possibly this year, he will be. But this guy's still kind of learning the running back position. So I feel like with the options they have, they're going to rotate some other guys in there. Um, McKissick's still going to get some of a fair share of the passing opportunity. He's a lock to make the team. They're saying, why else would he be on your team other than pass to catch the ball because he can't run? And then you have people like Patterson um, kind of in the mix, Peyton Barber kind of in the mix. So you have two guys who might be utilized a little bit here or there for specialized roles. So I do think it's going to be smoke. I think there's going to be games where he's utilizing that role. I think maybe as the season progresses, he can become that role. But I think early on, you can't expect it. They haven't really seen it yet in preseason. Everything kind of coming out of training camp is that they want to use him in that role, but they still aren't really doing so. So until they actually see it, I can't say it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say it depends on how you approach this question, right? Is it – is it CMC role as in he gets you know 90% of the work across the board then yeah 100% smoke is it CMC role in that he is the workhorse in all three down situations even though maybe it's even though the workload overall might be more 65 to 70% then i think that could possibly be fire cuz i do think he's going to be involved in the pass game much more than he was last season uh, he has gotten a lot better with his pass protection, which I think was the big reason why J.D. McKissick played as much as he did with Alex Smith in that third-down role. So I don't think it's going to be automatically J.D. McKissick every time in the third-down position. But I don't think Antonio Gibson's getting an 80 to 90% work share either this year. And really, I don't know if he happens at any point in the year. Maybe if he he takes off the way you're hoping he does by the end of the season, possibly. But I would say, I would say smoke from the standpoint of he
3: gets the insane. For him to be kind of the starter, They've, they added the tight ends. They're going to be more to a physical team overall. The defense should be pretty good. I think the Patriots to be pretty good this year. As long as the Patriots are competitive and, and are small in the playoffs, I don't see them making a quarterback switch just for the sake of making the switch. Um, so I think that it's going to be smoke. I see the narrative of how it could become fire because I do think if camp struggles and the Patriots are struggling overall offense, you have an easy kind of solution. But so far, everything coming out of New England is that Cam's been pretty good, solid in in practice. He had a nice preseason game. The offense is really, really built for him to kind of be the guy in a sense. And why rush out Matt Jones if you don't have to yet? So I think all those different things kind of add up for it not happening.
1: Yeah, I think Bill Belichick truly does love him some Cam Newton. I agree with you, though. You made a good point, though. If Cam gets COVID again, I don't know. We'll see. That could be the driving factor. I'm with you, though. Ultimately, this is smoke. Uh, I, I've been saying this all along. If the Patriots stay in the playoff race, which I expect them to be a about 500, if not a little bit above 500 team for most of the year, that will keep them in the playoff race. I don't think Bill Belichick benches Cam Newton, if that's the case, if that's the situation of the team. So I'm with you. I think Even though Cam, I think Mac Jones is definitely clearly the better passer, but I think they're going into this season, especially at the start, with an idea of how they want to play football, and they want to play bully ball. And that's why they got these two tight ends, and that's why they're going to lean on Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. So I do believe that Cam Newton will keep this job at least until after week eight, as long as the Patriots are still in the playoff race, as long as he doesn't get COVID. But we know Bill Belichick does. I think it's genuine that he does love cam newton and that's why that's gonna be the big driving factor behind this even if there's people out there saying that mac jones should have won this job next up a bills running back will finish in the top 36 this season smoke or fire
3: i'm gonna go with smoke um i think there's opportunity for one of these guys to do it but make moss is basically that guy your option but with his injury history you can't you can't basically bet on that um you maybe points per game one of them could finish there, but when it comes over for the whole season because of the injury concerns to that backfield and Singletary's lack of usage in the passing game, I think, no, you can't look for them to finish in the top 36. They're still they're still very much a pass first team. They're built in a division where there's not going to be a lot of games where you're going to try to feature the run a lot. Um, so I just think when you look at how the bills are built and the backfield injury concerns and usage in, in general, I think you can't, you can't, you can't have to be smoke for me.
1: It's going to be fire for me. I'm not going to hit the state your case button because I'm not trying to make a strong case here. But it's going to be fire for me. Just just only idea. top 36. It's a wide range. Devin Singletary finishes the number 34 running back in half-point PPR leagues last year with these two splitting time and it being kind of a mess and the running backs being an afterthought. So I do think there will be at least a little more of an emphasis to get the running game involved. I agree with you. I think that guy, they want it to be a Zach Moss. But even if he misses time, Devin Singletary gets mixed in. He gets a starter role. I think one of them finishes the top 36. If you're going to place your bet on somebody, it would be Zach Moss for me. You get to that 10th, 11th round territory. I'm okay taking the shot on a guy who's probably your RB4 at that point, just to see what happens. Still not going to be too excited about it, but I do think one finishes in top thirty-six. Uh, okay, next up. Second wide receiver will emerge as a top 36 option in Green Bay. Smoke or fire?
3: I'm going to go with fire on this one. Um, I know that's going to be kind of surprising. I expect Van Scatling to be that that guy. I expect him to have a lot of big games. From everything I'm hearing out of camp, is the light bulb's kind of going off for him in a lot of ways. He looks more consistent out there he's running better routes out there and we always know this guy has explosive ability that hasn't been the problem so I think between the fact that you're going to see teams playing a lot of attention to Adams you kind of see you know, Jamal Williams you know kind of moved on so you have that opportunity for you know Aaron Jones will benefit from that but I think the receivers will benefit from that and you don't have a clear-cut guy Alan Lazard's a nice player I think he's a trustworthy guy but I think that you're going to see somebody step up on the other side I think the Packers are going to be very much aggressive offensively. You look at the division, that second corner is a really struggle for most of those teams. The Vikings don't have a good one. The Bears don't have a good one. Detroit doesn't have a good one. So all those different factors, I do think there will be somebody of that Green Bay receiver to step up and become that 36 for me it's the fan Scotland.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Smoke on this one. First of all, the Scantling thing, I feel like we've heard that every single year. Yeah, Scantling's ready to take the next step up, but it never really actually happens. But I think the fact that they brought in Randall Cobb muddies this whole thing so much that there is no second wide receiver Green Bay that actually gets into the top 36. Cause I think it's just going to get a mixture of Alan Lazard and Scantling and Randall Cobb and whoever, I mean, at least Devin Funches is out of the picture now, but that I think it's gonna be too much of a mess for any one wide receiver to wind up being a top 36 option. Devonte Adams, you were the man. You continue to be the man. Uh, next up, Justin Jefferson outperforms his rookie season smoke or fire.
3: To me, that's smoke. Um, I love Justin Jefferson. I love his skill set. But a lot of things felt just quite, just right for him to kind of be that guy. I wouldn't be shocked if last year was one of his better seasons he winds up having. Maybe you see an increase in touchdowns over last year, but the yardage, I don't think he's going to get 1,400 yards again. Um, I think that his team overall has got a lot of balance. They have different weapons they can kind of utilize. There's more of a third receiver option in his offense than there has been in the last couple of years. So all those different things, I think he's still going to be a very productive player. I I don't see him surpassing what he did last year.
1: Yeah, 88 receptions, 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns. Those are numbers that are hard for elite receivers to repeat. So I'm with you. I think it's smoke that he does that. I think the the offense for the Vikings talk about this before. I think the defense is going to be a little bit better, which is going to lead to the Vikings offense dipping back down to more of their average, as far as passing volume on a per game basis goes. I don't know if his rookie season winds up being his best season ever. I do think this guy has a chance to be a true elite receiver. I think he might be able to get these numbers again at some point, but, Let's say Adam Thielen's not as banged up as he was last year and is more involved uh, throughout the year as far as having to share some targets go. I just think there's a lot of things in, uh, uh, in, in play here that make Justin Jefferson a bit of a regression candidate when it comes to statistics, which is why I still have him inside the top 10 of wide receivers, but he's not cracking my top six or anything like that like he would have a season ago. So I'm with you. I think ultimately the smoke, I don't think it's a huge regression, but I don't think you can expect four hundred yards and seven touchdowns out of him again this year. Uh, Swift and Williams will be a one-two punch committee smoke or fire in Detroit
3: that's smoke to me um you see what Anthony Lynn's historical usage as running backs has always had two guys primarily featured go back to the Buffalo days it was CJ Spiller Fred Jackson last year the last couple of years with the Chargers they always had that power back and use Eckler to rotate so be fire to Eckler. you then so yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's it's fire. Yeah, um, yeah. I got a little confused by this. So, yeah, it's definitely fire to me. The coaching staff basically is why I think it's a lock. Anthony Lynn calling the plays. How this team's basically talked about Williams the entire off season. They talked nothing but great about him. How he's going to be, you know, their RB one. Um, I don't think there's going to be a clear split in the usage. So I do think that you're going to have these two guys be out there, you know, pretty consistently and be a one-two punch.
1: Yeah, I think DeAndre shows going to get the majority of the work. I have him for a 55% work share across the board from carries to receptions. But I have Jamal Williams sitting right there about 40%, which in my book, that makes you a one two punch, quite frankly. We talked about Jamal Williams, how he has that factor that coaches seem to love. We know he gets involved in the passing game because he's a good pass protector, not because he's necessarily flashy with it, but he's a good pass protector. He does do a good job of always seem to fall forward for four yards. So you don't, you're not, he's not a guy who gets a lot of negative plays from that sense. Yeah. And this whole, offense is going to revolve around Anthony Lynn and what he's able to do with that backfield. Let's also tie into the fact that DeAndre Swift is still dealing with a groin injury right now that Dan Campbell, you know, has us all with a little bit of a red flag after saying he's a little bit concerned about it all of a sudden out of nowhere. Uh, I'm not too concerned. He's still expected to play week one, but we know okay. Jamal. got We know Jamal just, is going to get uh, mixed in.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say, don't worry about that at all, because I read the last couple of days of practice, swift has been out there. He's been healthy. He's just explosive. There's a lot of the, the beat writers are basically saying they're not really sure that was him trying to light a fire under him or some kind of way, but there's nothing showing you. Swift's not healthy. and won't be out there. He's practiced the last two games and been very much utilizing the offense.
1: Yeah. Agreed. We're going to get a quick word from our sponsor. And when we come back, it's going to be rapid fire smoker fire. Cause we want to get to the mailbag segment at the end of today's show, but everyone stay tuned on the MD's fantasy football show on social media at belly up MDFF show or on YouTube, the MD's fantasy football show channel. And we'll be back with you right after this word from our sponsor, from Symbol.
0: One of the best sponsors of the show is named Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol, where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. The Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. Well, when they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the sportsbook edge is put back into your hands As the player, for the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download Symbol, and again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for your $10 deposit bonus today.
2: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
1: And we are back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show here at... At belly up MDFF show on social media or on YouTube. Make sure you check us out tonight from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Sports Network, unhinged sn.airtime.pro. We'll be streaming live then. Oh, and of course, you know, go back, download us on your favorite pod streaming app, whether it be iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere available to you guys. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Join here, Chris Dowhower as we're going through the smoke or fire episode, and this is pretty much going to be rapid fire here on the other side. Smoking.
2: Oh, oh firecrunch, fire it's burning, it's burning, put it
1: all right, let's continue deciphering these narratives of what we need to pay attention to and what we don't as we get into our big draft weekends. Next up, I feel like I'm talking about this with all the rookie quarterbacks, but Trey Lance starts week one, smoke or fire?
3: That's smoke. And let's also address the fact that I think this is a media-driven thing. Trey Lance has done nothing to show that he should be starting out there week one. Um, he's had some flashy moments. He had a nice little pass in the first game to Sheffield, had another one second game to Sheffield again. But this guy is not processing what's going out there very quickly. He's not adjusting well to the NFL speed. He hasn't faced any kind of complicated pressures or looks yet, and he's still having an issue being able to process where he wants to go with the ball. He hasn't been highly accurate. So all those different things, I think Trey Lance is getting a lot of hype that doesn't necessarily deserve. Jimmy G is still on the team. He's been treated as the, the quarterback one. The entire preseason so far, he's gotten the majority of the, the reps. Trey Lance gets an occasional rep here or there. It's kind of a um, gadget play, but overall, there's nothing coming out of Kent that makes you think that Trey Lance will be the starter in any capacity week one.
1: They've said it since the beginning: Jimmy Garoppolo to start a week one. It is absolutely smoke that Trey Lance could be the week one. I totally agree with you. This is a media-driven thing, and I, I just found it hilarious after that game in this past preseason game. That because Kyle Shanahan, his first sentence says Jimmy Garoppolo is clearly the starter. His second sentence is I'm not going to announce a week one starter right now. And the media all jumped on the second sentence of I'm not going to announce a week one starter and tried to make a story out of it. It's smoke. Trey Lance is not going to start week one. And I don't believe Trey Lance is going to start at all this season unless Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, which, of course, is definitely plausible given his track record. But that's the only scenario in which it happens. A Ravens wide receiver will emerge in the top 36 by the end of the season. Smoker, fire.
3: I think there's an opportunity for it happen, but I'm going to go with smoke because I think there's just too many questions of who that guy is going to be and the usage of everybody. There will probably eventually be a receiver that, you know, Lamar Jackson kind of locks onto and utilizes more consistently, but who that guy is going to be. I have no clue. We have no idea what Greg Roman is going to do with these guys. We don't know how much Sammy Washington is going to play, how much Beaton is going to play, how much Marquise Brown is going to play. All these guys have missed significant time in the offseason so far. So, I mean, other than Sammy, he's banged up again already. So, I think when you look overall where they kind of are in the receivers, there's going to be production in that receiver position, but who that's going to be, I can't can't say. So, that's where I can't say there's going to be a guy in the top 36.
1: Yeah, I think the reason you're using for why it's smoke is the same one that I was going to point to, too. It's smoke because I have no clue who it's going to be. I'm with you. I think there's... If it winds up being latched on to one guy, there is an opportunity for someone to finish in the top 36. But between the low volume, the fact that by the end of the season, I, I believe at some point you'll have Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, and Marquise Brown all out there at the same time. There's too many guys with not a lot of volume there to really be secure about somebody finishing in the top 36. So I'm just going to approach this from, if you're drafting today's standpoint, do you draft someone with the idea they might be a top 36 guy? My answer to that would be no. Uh, And I I don't even know if I'd necessarily take a flyer on any one of these guys. As far as the draft goes, maybe I pick somebody up off the waiver wire if we start to see someone
2: emerge throughout the season.
1: Next up, OBJ reestablishes himself as a top 12 wide receiver. Smoker fire.
3: So I'm going to go with fire because I'm one to believe the OBJ is going to be healthy finally. And if he's healthy, he's still one of the more talented receivers out there. He's still a guy who's very explosive. Everything I'm hearing from OTAs, the training camp to basically him throwing with Baker has been positive. Um, I think that he's kind of due to kind of have that season that we've been waiting for. And when you look at the opportunity for him on that offense, there's nobody – you can't feature – you can't try to take away OBJ because of how the running game is being so effective because they have a utilization of their tight ends. You have a Jarvis Landry. So all the different things make this guy have every opportunity to do so. And I want to say yes, so I'm going to go with fire.
1: I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. It's going to be smoke for me. <laughs> I, it's been, f- what, four years now since he's actually been – really great since he's been a top 12 guy. And while I agree with you, you can't key on him. It's still a low volume offense. It's still an offense that hasn't actually produced well with him on the field. Although I don't necessarily look at that as too much of an issue. My big thing is I don't believe OBJ can stay healthy enough. I just don't. And I I have to be proven wrong on that before I can say this is fire. So I have to go with smoke on OBJ being able to come a top 12 guy, but I want to say this where he's going on his ADP wise. I do think he's worth the shot and he could be a league winner. He is a wild card play in that six-round territory in your 12-man half-point PPR leagues.
3: At some point, where he's going now, I would take that shot that he's going to be a number 12. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on it, so I wouldn't right. draft that he's going to be in the top 12.
1: Exactly. Uh, Michael Pittman becomes the Colts' number one wide receiver this season, smoke or fire?
3: I'm going to go with smoke. I love Michael Pittman. I love his upside. I think that he's got a potential to be one of the better receivers on that team. I think T.Y. is still the clear-cut number one on that offense. I think that he's, his skill set fits better with what Carson Wentz likes to do. I think he has good separation. He can run a variety of different routes between the goes, the, cross, the deep crosses, some of the slant patterns, some of the underneath stuff. I think T.Y. is going to be that guy for Carson Wentz. So I'm going to go with Smoke because while I love Pittman, I love his upside, I think he's still kind of going to be the second thought in a passing game for Carson Wentz.
1: I think this depends on how you want to approach the topic. I think Michael Pittman will wind up with the most targets by the end of this season, but T Y Hilton's going to be the better fantasy football option because of his big play capabilities. I do think there's definitely matchups in the AFC South. He's going to be able to take advantage of. So I think you're going to know when to play T Y Hilton too. So I do think he's valuable from that standpoint where some of these other big play guys, you're not always sure when to play them Hilton. You're going to have a pretty good idea when you can play this guy. I agree with you. Carson Wentz who likes to throw the ball deep, doesn't get the opportunity to do so too much because he's had his entire career blanketed by slow, big receivers and rarely ever has speedster guys to be able to throw the ball to. And I don't think Hilton's done. I think he's got the veteran savvy to be able to get open down the field. I think he still has enough speed. We kind of saw towards the end of last year, him still be able to be effective with Phillip Rivers, which I think was the biggest problem for T.Y. Hilton more so than anything else. So, and with you, I think from a fantasy football standpoint, Hilton to me is still a wide receiver forward. I think you're able to plug and play in your lineup and will be the better fantasy football option. So I go with smoke on this as well. Here's a good one. Julio Jones is the number one receiver in Tennessee smoke or fire.
3: That is 100% smoke. AJ <laughs> Brown ain't going nowhere kids. And he's why he's been banged up himself, and ho- we always know Julio has been really struggling the last couple of years with injuries, especially nagging injuries. I think there's no reason that Tennessee is going to revamp the receiving core to appease him and make him the top dog. A.J. Brown will be that guy. A.J. Brown will continue to be that guy. His usage is too, too much underneath stuff, too much to overcome with the slants, stuff like that. I think Julio is going to have a nice season, but A.J. Brown to me is clearly still number one receiver in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is something that people want to bring up because, you know, it's Julio Jones. So does he really go to a situation where he's not the number one guy? The rapport is already there with A.J. Brown. He's the upcoming superstar. And again, look no further than Julio Jones is dealing with an injury right now. He's still not practicing. So how how great he's going to be able to hit the ground running, we have to see. How healthy he can stay throughout the season, we have to see. Yes, this is 100% smoke. I still think Julio Jones is definitely a guy who could be a wide receiver too. But he is going to be the wide receiver, two for sure on the Tennessee Titans, without a doubt. LaVisca Shenault overtakes as the number one target on the Jacksonville Jaguars, smoke or fire.
3: So you're not going to like this answer, but I'm going to go with fire. Oh, uh,
1: uh, no. Oh, hold on. I want the
2: truth. You can't handle the truth.
1: So many reactions to that. All right, go ahead.
3: All right. So, my theory is real simple. This Jacksonville offensive line is pathetic. You had ETN move on. So, I think those two things actually help Chenault have an opportunity to be consistently featured. I think it allowed him to be in the slot most of the time. I think Jacksonville is going to utilize that slot receiver, and Trevor Lawrence, in particular, can utilize that slot receiver much more often. We've seen people like Golden Tate be utilized in this offense. We've seen guys basically similar as Chenault be the featured guy. So I love DJ Shark's talent. I think that he still could be one of the better receivers out there. His skill set is more of a deep down-the-field guy. I don't think Jack is going to have the time to push the ball down the field. I think they're going to have a lot of uh, underneath stuff, and I think Chenault is going to be the big beneficiary of that. So I have to go with LaRouche Chenault as going to be, yes, he will be the top-targeted receiver in Jacksonville this year.
1: I will admit this question became a lot more interesting after the Travis ETN news. That part I I will give you. But this is definitely smoke. DJ Chark, I don't understand. He gets no love whatsoever. He's only been a mid-level top wide receiver two before with mediocre quarterback play. Horrible quarterback play last year. There's a better quarterback. What has to be a high-volume offense because that defense is putrid at best. And a Trevor Lawrence guy who likes to throw the ball deep. He's going to hit DJ Chark. Quite a bit. I think it's going to be DJ Chark and Marvin Jones. Now, yes, again, Leviska Chanel, I think his role will evolve a little bit more than they were anticipating it to because of the Travis ETN news. That part I don't disagree with, but that's not going to make him the number one targeted wide receiver. It's still going to be DJ Chark. He's still the best receiving threat, both down the field and everywhere else, pretty much on this team still a young guy who has another level in his game another potential another upside that he I believe he can reach now in his situation here that LaVisca Schnault just still still going to be have to be a Curtis Samuel gadget type of player being a third target that's how I that's how I kind of see it. I see Curtis Samuel in LaVisca Schnault to the Robbie Anderson to the DJ Moore where he's the third targeted guy but used a little bit throughout the entire field All right, next up, Kyle Pitts, top five tight end, smoke or fire?
3: I'm going to go with fire. Um, The reason I'm going there is not necessarily I think that he should finish top five. I think he will because I think there will be an injury in a top five. One of the guys will be injured in the other top five that I have currently. I think between Andrews, Kittle, Waller. Um, Kelsey, all guys who I have rated higher than him, and I think they should be all the top five. I think one of those guys is probably going to get banged up, possibly. I think Pitts is right there, right behind all those guys. So I'm going to go with fire because I do think he is sniffing the top five.
1: I'm going to go with Smoke. I have him at tight end seven. So even if somebody was to get injured, I still have another tight end in front of him. Uh, I think the fact that he's going to split out wide as much as they're Saying he's going to in practice, I think is actually going to play against them rather than for him because it's easier to cover a tight end when he splits out wide than not. Hayden Hurst, I think will be involved enough to be annoying, especially in the red zone. And I think ultimately this is Calvin Ridley's offense this year in Atlanta. It's not going to be Kyle Pitts's yet. Um, so I still I have him as tight end seven. I don't think top five is out of the question. So I would say smoke with the possibility of fire if I'm being completely honest in this situation, but ultimately I do have it as smoke. Taysom Hill is Sean Payton's starting quarterback, smoke or fire?
3: That is smoke. I think there was a good possibility of that happening, but I think Jameis Winston has kind of shown that he's ready to be the starter. We know we both have always agree he's the more talented guy, and I think his, his showing last preseason game really was well for him. And I think Marquise Callaway stepping up and being that number one receiver that they kind of made sure that they were not sure if they had or not will also help the um, Saints trust that they can actually pass the ball not to be a team that's necessarily run oriented and playing basic rugby out there in a lot of ways. I think Taysom Hill was an option when they had to think they had to keep the game score low. They had to be able to kind of be conservative offense. But so far, everything's kind of shown between reports out of camp and preseason games. The offense is just to be pretty good and has the ability to be able to push the ball down the field a bit more than they have in a couple of years without Drew Brees being there anymore. Um, I think Winston's going to be this week one starter.
1: I agree with you. I believe this is smoke but I don't think this has definitely put to bed yet. I think James Winston's performance definitely went a long way in that and showing when you have a true pocket passer, what you can do in that offense, a true thrower of the football. But I still think Sean Payton is debating what brand of football he at least wants to play at least to start the year. We'll see what happens when Michael Thomas gets back. But I do think he's debating that point. So while I believe this is smoke, I think there might be a little more fire to it than just that. Uh, next up. Sam Darnold can maintain two top 24 receivers, smoke or fire?
3: To me, that is smoke. Um, unless you want to catch, count Christian McCaffrey as one of those guys. Because I look at this guy, he has yet to do that in his career. The Jets' offense has been pathetic and fallen behind a lot of games, and he still couldn't do it. Um, and I, I think that you have really talented receivers, but you have a variety of different options they can kind of use the, spread the ball to. I think Sam Darnold is going to be a a huge disappointment for this team. I think Carolina in general is going to be a huge disappointment offensively. And I think that he's definitely going to be not able to do so. So I go with smoke.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I brought this up before. With ability statistically wise, no matter how you shake it out, this is not an improvement over Teddy Bridgewater. It's just not. And even last year, I think that offense played as well as it possibly could have. And he still didn't have two top 24 wide receivers. Robbie Anderson doesn't benefit from having Sam Darnold back in the building at all. I think you might have one. I think that one's DJ Moore. And Robbie Anderson is a guy that I question if he's actually a low-level wide receiver three or if he's not just more of a wide receiver, high-end wide receiver four this season. So I'm with you. I think it's smoke that two Carolina Panthers will be a top 24 wide receiver. Next, Bucks. Bucks will have a running back that finishes inside the top 30, smoke or fire.
3: That is smoke. <laughs> I have no trust in this backfield. The only way I hesitate a little bit is possibly in a PPR league, Geo Bernard, Bernard could make it there because I do see oh, him being heavily involved. In the in top 30. I, hate, I hate Bernard, but I, th- I could see him easily playing that James White role in this offense. Um, because of the you know, receiver tension they're going to be able to get. And the fact that tight, second tight end hasn't really been, you know, O.J. Howard hasn't been healthy in a lot of ways. So, But overall, this is a backfield that I personally have, what no part of. I love Leonard Fournette's skill set, but he was almost out of the league last year. Then he comes back and has a great stretch, but Ronald Jones was the lead guy, and all of a sudden he disappears in the pre, in the practice, you know, on the playoffs. Then you add Gio's to the backfield. You still have a Keyshawn Vaughn there. I just say there's too many guys, and this team's still going to be a pass first team. I say no.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think there's a top thirty finish in a half point PBR league in this backfield because they're all gonna get worked in. Genevaya Bernard pretty much kills any chance of Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette being guys that you want to play and plug and play in your lineups. And even if one emerges on a on a you know on every other week basis type of deal, I don't think you're ever gonna know which one to play. And because of Gio Bernard, if he does play that James White role, you're really capping the ceiling of a Leonard Fournette and a Ronald Jones, who are going to be, I believe, splitting carries to begin with. So this is the backfield. I'm with you. I don't want to touch it at all. And I don't think anybody finishes inside the top 30. Next, both Cooper Cup and Robert Woods will finish as top 15 wide receivers this year. Smoke or fire.
3: That is unequivocally fire to me. Matthew Woo-hoo! Stafford has has shown he can feature two receivers, has the ability this Rams offense showed they can feature two receivers. And I think the additions with a, a Deshaun Jackson and even a two-two at well adding that extra speed to help open it up for Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, I think make it a no-brainer that they did, both these guys have a strong strong chance of being a top fifteen. I'm going with fire.
1: I have to say smoke because I have Cooper Cup rated as my wide receiver 19. I don't quite have him in the top 15, but the potential is definitely there. I would not be shocked if both of these guys finish as top 15 wide receivers. I love their floor to ceiling ratio for both of these guys. The only thing about Cooper Cup is I worry a little bit about him staying healthy. We haven't seen him do it in a couple of seasons. That's the one thing that kind of holds him back a little bit in my mind. Uh, next, Russell Wilson can finish as the QB1 this season, Smoker, fire.
3: Kenny, sure, but Willie, no. So I'm going <laughs> to go with smoke. Um, I think Russell Wilson will have an improvement to a degree his offense. He was very effective last year, he had nice year, last year overall. I don't see the numbers dramatically changing. I see the consistency dramatically changing for them. So last year, look at the numbers he put up. They're pretty good numbers. I think he still still finished, you know, was number one, definitely in the top five. But he was the guy that you necessarily was even close to number one. Um, I think his numbers are going to be very similar this year. I just think each game going to be more consistent, where you're not going to have, like, the 45-point, 50-point games that he was having and then basically doing nothing. I think it will be kind of a consistent production. So I think he can be a QB1. I could finish there. But I think there's too many other guys that you look at that have a better chance to finish above him. So I'm going to go with Smoke.
1: I mean, I'll say fire because I believe he can finish as the QB one. I do think that's in his range of outcomes. I have him as QB five. The biggest thing I think is that this offense has a great opportunity under Shane Walden to be more consistent, like you're saying. But because you have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, having those big gaudy numbers is still also in the range of outcomes, especially depending on the matchups and everything else. So everything sets up where they definitely can. I feel like if, if he does get more consistent, he'll be right there competing with a Mahomes, a Lamar Jackson, a Josh Allen. And be right in a conversation for QB1 at the end of the season. So I'll say fire that he definitely can based on the new offensive scheme that they're doing. AJ Green will resurge as a fantasy relevant wide receiver, smoke or fire.
3: I love AJ Green. I've always loved AJ Green. And more than anything, I hope he finds a fountain youth in Arizona where some guys have, you know, done so. I have to go with smoke in a situation until I see it. Um I don't know where he necessarily falls in the food chain offensively. You're going to see definitely, we know Hopkins is going to be the prime target. You're going to see a variety of guys kind of fighting for that second tier between Kirk, Rondell Moore, and A.J. Um, You're going to have Chase Edmonds be utilized a lot in the passing game. I have questions about his offensive line in general for Arizona. So when I look at all those different factors, I just don't see a clear-cut way that I can say A.J. will be relevant. Now, will he have a couple weeks? Maybe he does something? Sure. Um, But if you're talking about a guy you want to draft this year, I have to go with no right now. So I go with smoke.
1: Yeah, it's smoke. I I don't see a scenario. He looked done to me. He looks slow to me. I don't see him being able to take such a bounce back that he winds up being relevant again. I got to go with smoke. And I think you got guys like Rondale Moore emerging in Arizona. There's other wide receiver options. I think he's more out there to be, you know, a best friend of DeAndre Hopkins, which keeping DeAndre Hopkins happy could be relevant in itself when it comes to NFL. Uh, Next, we have this, – is, this is the year of the Mike Williams breakout, smoke or fire?
3: I'm going to go with smoke. Um, I don't – I'm not down on Mike Williams like a lot of people seem to be. The reason I have to go with smoke, though, is I don't really consider the breakout. Is it going to be with the year he has doubled the touchdowns? Well, he's done that. Is it going to be where he goes over a 1,000 yards? Well, he did that. The year he does both, I say probably not because I don't think the Charger overall are going to score enough for him to be able to do both. So I don't know when you talk about breakout. Um, I well, have to would
1: be, putting both of those together would probably be the breakout.
3: Okay, and I would probably go with smoke for that because, like I said, that I don't think he's going to have. I think he can go over a thousand yards. I do think he could score double touchdowns. I wouldn't bank on him doing either one of those things this year. So I'm going to go with smoke.
1: Yeah, I got to go with Smoke, too. He hasn't developed as a wide receiver the way I would like him to as far as a route tree goes. I still think he's primarily a 50-50 ball, deep ball threat guy and nothing much more, so basically a one-trick pony. On top of the fact that he's always dealing with either a hamstring injury or a shoulder injury, and that's no different this training camp. He's already dealing with a hamstring injury. So I'm going to go with Smoke on that one. Uh, Not one Raiders wide receiver will finish in the top 36. Smoke or fire? Not one.
3: (laughs) I'm going to go with smoke because I don't know how that receiving core is going to unfold. Um, I heard wonderful things coming out of camp about Edwards. I'm a big fan of his. I don't trust John Gruden to utilize him enough. Um, we've heard the hype about Henry Ruggs. I think Henry Ruggs is definitely a one trick pony. He can only run goes, basically. His route retreat is very limited. We don't see Derek Carr push the ball down the field all that often. Um, and I think you have Hunter Renfro. Being a mix, you have too many guys that are going to get mixed in there. John Brown's still there. There's too many guys for Derek Carr. Derek Carr has to spread the ball around a lot too. So all the different factors. You added Kenny and Drake into the passing game. I say no because I think there's going to be too many mouths that they're going to kind of utilize an offense. To actually, have a guy finish in the top 36 other than Derek I'm going to say
1: I'm going to say it's it's smoke as far as not one Raiders. I do think one finishes in the top 36. Because just based on last year, we we saw Nelson Aguilar emerge out of nowhere and become a top 30 wide receiver. Something has to happen. Something besides Darren Waller, someone has to be productive on a team that has a horrible defense. It's going to have to get in shootouts with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chargers most likely. Maybe even to a lesser degree to Denver Broncos just, just within the division alone. I do believe somebody emerge. Who's this going to be? I don't. I couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's going to be Brian. Edwards. That's the situation where I'm not drafting a Raiders wide receiver. I'll we'll see how it shakes out in the waiver wire. But I do have to say, I think do one will finish inside the top 36. Last smoker fire. Jerry Judy will be the number one wide receiver. Now that Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback. Smoker fire.
3: I'm gonna go with smoke. I can see some of the ideas of why Judy could be the number one. But I still think Cortland Sutton, if he is healthy, and that's my big if, if he's healthy, I still think he's the better all-around production guy. I think he can still use his body to get the 50-50 balls. He's going to be utilized in the red zone. Um, we saw Michael Thomas eat pretty well. who I kind of compare Cortland Sutton to a lot with how he uses his body, um, be successful with Teddy Bridgewater. I think that you're going to see Judy be much more productive this year. I think he'll be able to kind of be you know, utilized in that, between that Robbie Anderson role we kind of saw last year, but I think you're going to see Cortland Sutton be that kind of big play guy. The guy's also be more featured in the red zone. So I'm going to go Cortland Sutton, still the true number one in Denver.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be smoked that Jerry Judy's number one. Cortland Sutton was a budding superstar. I don't understand why we're all forgetting about him. The I, I hate the statistic because it gets thrown out by so many people. that They talk about, oh, Jerry Judy, though, he was a top three in air yards. He was the only one on the field. K.J. Hamler missed half the season. Cortland Sutton was, of course, he was number, he was number three. He's the only one left. Hey, look, I, I know Jerry Judy runs those more intermediate routes, which is, Typically, what Teddy Bridgewater likes to throw, but Cortland Sutton is a true stud who has a full route tree, a full star. Will be playing the X receiver in a Pat Shermer offense. It's still Cortland Sutton in my mind. Now, I still like Jerry Judy. You don't get that conflated. And I think Teddy Bridgewater can make both of these guys top thirty-six options. But Cortland Sutton is the guy for me, so I would go with smoke on that one. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We're not going to be able to get to the mailbag segment, but. Even if we don't get to it or we don't put your question up here, always ask us your questions at MDFF show on social media. We'll help you out. We'll answer them there. We'll try to get them on the show. We'll definitely get them on the show tomorrow because we'll be back at 11 a.m. talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five tight ends. So check that out on social media at Show, or go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Of course, you can always catch us on your favorite pod streaming app, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever. We're widely available to you guys. And don't forget to check us out tonight, 6 p.m. 7 7.30 p.m. on the Unhinged Sports Radio Network B U S N B B U S U N I I believe is the code that we're going with for that now on unhinged sn.airtime.pro. Guys, we'll see you all tomorrow. I'm Dan Maters, Chris Dauhauer, draft smart this weekend. See you guys later.